I'm Cheryl Chickey. I'm Executive Director of In Our Backyard. Welcome to Define Destiny. Uh, on this episode, we are excited to hear from survivor voices regarding their journeys in sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Today, I have the honor of sitting with Sarah Perkins. How are you? Good, how are you? We're so happy you are here today. Thank you for having me. And, you know, taking the courage on to say, uh, let's talk about our healing journeys mm -hmm. and some of the moments that, you know, we do want to share and have our voices heard, right? Um, I met you as a survivor sibling. It's been awesome to just get to know you and who you are. And I've heard so much of your story, but what I really like to hear first is who you are. Um, I know you as one of my uh, great friends who can always make any bad time a good time. Uh, we can get into shenanigans, I think is what you would say. Um, but you know, when we think about our stories of exploitation and, and where they start, you know, we're, we're in the story. Mm -hmm. Us ourselves are part of that story. So, you know, who is Sarah? What are, yeah. you know, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, are you playing basketball? What does your home life kind of look like for us? Yeah. So I grew up in a single family home. Um, I didn't really know my real dad. I have few memories of him. Um, nothing bad. We'd go visit him, you know, often. Um, but I was with my grandparents a lot. I was the youngest, so I remember going to their timeshares in Florida and um, Arizona. They love the sun. So I just remember always being in super hot places, but being very well taken care of. Um, my childhood actually probably was the happiest time of my life. Um, Definitely grew up playing sports. Um, my mom got remarried to her third husband when I was 10, uh, and he was a captain of a police department. So we went from free range parenting to law and order, um, very quick. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think that was kind of like a turning point in my life. Um, so there's new rules, mm -hmm. right, in your household. And how old are you exactly, like, when this new change is coming and law and order is coming down on you? So I was pre-teens, um, which, looking back, I feel like was such a crucial point in my life. Um, while the law and order was probably great for all of us, in a way, like more structure, there were a lot of things um, that I think my parents fell short on. Um, like talking about relationships or boundaries or sex, drugs. Um, so sheltered, maybe. Super sheltered, and I, I get it. Um, but I think I probably would have had more success like in my life, um, and things maybe could have been a little different for me, like had I known how to respond to everything, not just good things, but how do I respond when I'm faced with um, being offered drugs or someone wants to have sex or... Um, anything, you know, I just, I was super naive, super innocent, um, just not well, like, equipped, yeah. um, like, intellectually, just to be ready for what the world, you know, had to offer. Yeah. And when you're starting to grow up and realize, like, you don't have the equipment, the tools mm. to understand your experiences, what does that look like throughout high school? Like, that's a... Right. Now you're in it, right? right. So how do you, res do you respond? So I was um, rebellious. 
you know, I, I rebelled back to the law and order. Um, I, I actually was sent away to wilderness twice. Um, and after my second wilderness program, I went to a boarding school. Um, so that really sheltered me. I ended up going into a program where we were put on silence. And so for two years, over two years, um, the only time I was allowed to talk was in family therapy and family meetings or to a teacher for independent learning. Um, so that really blocked um, any type of like real life learning of anything um, because we didn't like leave to go to school. We lived on campus, we did school on campus, we ate on campus, like we never left. We didn't watch TV, no magazines, no, um, so I didn't even know like what new music was coming out. I didn't know how to put on makeup. I didn't know how to, you know, we didn't wear jewelry. I had no identity, hmm. um, which left me super bare and exposed uh, for anybody. Yeah, like where's Sarah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like who is Sarah? You know, like literally anyone could have walked up and painted on the canvas and that's who I would have been. Like I was just in such a vulnerable um, position. Um, and I honestly, it made me the perfect um, prey, you know, for a pimp who's out recruiting. Um, and people are like, well, how did he find you? Like, this is a business. Like, this is a part of the business is recruiting and being able to look at girls and see their innocence and see their vulnerability and see, and all they have to do is have a conversation for two minutes and they know. Yeah. Um, and how so it worked against you, like the sheltering, right? Right. To protect you became the vulnerability. Right. Right, and you know, it, was, it honestly, like he just found the perfect target. Um, Where were you when you first met? Right, so when I got out of boarding school, I ended up um, applying for college. I lived on campus. I was waiting for school to start, so I got a job in a local mall, and I worked in the suits department. And where the suits department was, everyone would come in from public transportation. Um, so like every 20 minutes, you'd just see a flood of people come in. Well, pimps in Oregon, that's a lot of what they do, is they'll go on public transportation and they'll just scout out girls, they'll go through the mall, they're looking for people. Um, so he was coming off, coming into the mall, and he would see me a few times. I even saw him a few times. So, so you're saying they're just in the mall? Working. They're just coming through We'd public see each transportation? Other. Yeah, like over know? a month, we saw each other a couple times. Then he came over and started buying high-end suits, like expensive suits, and he would pull out cash um, and I remember thinking wow like if I want a guy I want a guy wearing expensive suits and with a lot of money um, and he was just nice like he wasn't a corny like hey girl call an ambulance you stopped my hair like Mac. nothing yeah <laughs> nothing so. corny like he was super just like pickup lines none of them yeah <laughs> like you know he would just genuinely how are you yeah <laughs> I see you. Well, I notice yeah. your eyes. You know, like he'd always just say something, you know, and, and coming from a sheltered life, like I would hear that and I was like, oh my gosh, like I was freaking out inside, you know, like still this woman, but stuck in a teenager's body. You know, yeah. once I went to this program, it was like done, you know. So I want to go back and understand when you say, you know, here I am, I'm done with the program, you know, that feels like maybe even takes away your childhood in a sense yeah you're kind of boxed up wrapped up packaged ready to go yeah um, you know return to sender sure <laughs> style no what, I what's that feel like what tell us more about that I actually had a lot of like resentment you know like when I went off to college um, 
my mom and stepdad did try and step up and say, all right, now you're on your own. Like, you know, this is the standard. You know, they were like, you got to do this. Like, make sure you do it. You know, we're really trusting you. you. Yeah, this is the start of your life. You know, I knew the standard. Um, But in my mind, I was like, no, I'm going to live my life. You know, like, this is it. Like, I spent over two years going to bed at night just in my mind thinking, as soon as I'm able to leave, I'm out. You know, because I, it was just, man, it just wears on you. But I I felt some resentment. And so when I got there, I was just, whatever happens, like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to have fun. I wanted friends too, but like, I had no idea how to like approach people or how to talk to people or how to, like, how do you make a friend? Like, I had no idea. I was around friends in the program, girls that are like now family to me. And we didn't even talk. That's the crazy thing, but we're so close. And, um, I knew how to make a friend just being there, not talking, which is, I don't even know how to explain that, but it's like, I didn't know how to walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm Sarah, I want to be my friend. Like, it just, there was just this energy in me just waiting to get out, but I just didn't know how to do it. So, like, when he met me and he started talking, um, I was excited, and I think he was too, because he knew that I was lacking in skills and naive and vulnerable you know so and I mistook that excitement I thought it was a genuine um, excitement and even when he was buying these high-end suits it's interesting looking back because his baby mom worked at the mall across the bridge at the same exact store that I worked at so what he would do is uh, we were both out of Myron Frank before it was Macy's so he'd buy these high-end suits from me at Lloyd Center and I'm thinking wow this guy's loaded nicely manicured great then he'd ride the max over, recruiting, looking for girls, you know, get off, go in this mall, go to his baby mom at customer service in Myron Frank and return that suit and get his cash back. So I had no idea, you know, that wow. this dude, it's, it's all a, a business, you know, yeah. like people are like, what is recruiting? Like these guys will go to great lengths yeah. to make you believe, you know, that these nice cars are theirs or it's these nice suits are theirs or yeah. that the money's rolling in or that, you know, the girls are there, but you know, so it's just, then he did so great. Like played me, uh, looking back, I'm like, ah oh, man, you know, there were the red flags, but even if I was well-equipped, honestly, he could have got me. True. Yeah. Very true. The, I mean, yeah. the skill that it takes to, tell someone they can meet your needs. Everyone has a need to be oh, met. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. love is. That's what relationship yeah. is. And you, like you are kind of stating, you were like the perfect candidate yeah. in a way. Um, you had a higher vulnerability than maybe oh, someone, sure. someone else. Um, and there's a demand for that. Like if you look at the game, there's guys out there who are paying for girls who have no idea what's going on. You know, like that. And young, you don't think it can happen to you. Oh, you no. Know, it doesn't no. even cross your radar. No, when yeah. When meeting someone that their intention, right. right? Right. Is not a relationship with you. But right. at some point, this is an exploitive relationship. Right. The first two months when I, when everything started, when everything happened, I remember the first two months I kept thinking, okay, after this, they're going to let me go. After this, they're going to leave. After this, like, and it just never happened. So I, I literally had no idea. I just kept thinking, Wow these guys have, they're doing the most, but surely once they take everything and ruin me, which I felt like they couldn't because I'd already been through the worst, 
I was just like a shell of a human after the program. So you couldn't hurt me, you know? Um, but I was like, surely after all this, they'll leave, you know? And then I can explain everything to my parents and they'll help me and we'll figure this out. And, um, but it just didn't go that way. So when you say after this, they, they have to let me go. Yeah. What, what are one of those moments in your head that you can look back on and, and what does it look like? So after like a couple months, um, he asked me out on a date. I said yes. Um, I remember the night I was getting ready and he called me and asked me what I was wearing. And so I told him and he's like, actually, I would like you to wear this, do your hair like this. You know, like it was just weird. Right, you had like first a gut date, check you're there. telling me what to wear. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like I said, no one had ever sat me down and said, hey, no man on a first date should ever tell you what to wear. Like, that's just weird. Like, first dates, this is what it looks like. You know, this would be a fun first date. Um, and I didn't have friends that I could say, oh, I'm going on a date with this guy, or, you know, like a girlfriend I could call and say, hey, he just called me and told me what to wear. Like, is that weird? My God, you know, I had no one to bounce it off of. Um, so that was the first red flag that I was like, that was kind of weird. Then like we went on the date um, and I met him downtown Portland. So I didn't meet him at my dorm. He had no idea where I lived. Didn't meet him there, met him at the dorm. We went to our date. He asked if we could stop at his mom's house. And when we went up, he did this like code knock. They opened the door, we went in. It was clearly a drug house, trap house. Um, and instantly he changed. It was no more nice guy. It was no more you're so beautiful. He was just like, go sit on the couch and I'll come talk to you in a minute. So I was just like, what the fuck? A okay. switch. Like clear switch. Um, tone, everything. Energy, just switch. Um, and I remember sitting on the couch thinking, we'll leave here in a minute. Like, we're going to leave here in a minute and we'll go on our date. You know, like, this is a red flag. I don't ever have to go on a date with him again. Like, I'll figure out who these people are. This could be family. You know, like, don't I was just, all yeah. these thoughts were going through my head. And I was just trying to make sense of it. Like, surely this is not his life like surely this is just I don't know uh, but it didn't go that way um, I ended up being raped by every guy in that house that night and I didn't even know what was going on when it was happening because they were discussing which guy I would go to and I kept thinking this is gonna go on all night um, but what they were discussing is who would be my pimp and I had no idea mm. like all these this language the street lingo I'm just sitting there trying to understand what's going on. But surely, when they're done, I'll be able to leave. Um, next morning, everything was out of my purse. He took me to my dorm room. He used my key card to get in, took us upstairs. He had three friends sitting in there. They had a, a PlayStation hooked up. They were cooking food. They were smoking weed in the dorm. Um, but surely, after that, it was gonna be over. Like, they're gonna eat all my food, okay play some video games, they'll leave. Uh, didn't happen. They ended up selling all my stuff on Craigslist and people were leaving with it. I was like, all right, they're gonna sell all my stuff too, but after this, it's gonna be, like, what else can you take from me? You know, and so, and it didn't end there. Um, so at first it was like, not good, this is rape. You're surviving rape, right? Yeah. Multiple, and it, you're, you have to say to yourself, that's what this is and it turns into prolonged yep harm yep you know at at what point did you understand 
I didn't think it could get worse after that. Yeah. I thought that was ground zero. Yeah. I was like, this is bad. Like, how am I going to explain this yeah. to my family? Like, I got myself into a bad situation. But then when I got to my dorm and they were there, I was like, oh, this is bad. And then he's like, go in your room and lay down and I'll let you know what the plan is. And I, again, like, that's so little information. Like, what does that mean? You're going to let me know what the plan is. Like, the plan is you're going to leave, right? Like, this is as bad as it can get. Once they started selling everything, I was like, wow. And it's multiple people. Yeah. If it was just him, you know, you might think, I can go tell someone. But when you're surrounded, right, by people at this level of ruthlessness. Right. Taking, your, taking everything away from you and harming you. Oh, yeah. I'm sure at that age, too, yeah. you're just like, what can I do? I had no idea what to do or by that point when they were selling everything I was like wow they could keep going they could keep doing stuff that I don't even know what's going on like I thought the first part that was it like I thought that's as bad as it could get now we're here what else could happen um and then he took me to the Portland International Airport and we got on a flight and headed to Vegas um I had no idea that Las Vegas was, I knew it was gambling, um, but I had no idea uh, what I was walking into at all. Um, and it's just you? Are there other? Just just me, you? yep. And um, I remember they had us take drugs to the airport. They had handed me like a whole boat of ecstasy pills in the car. Um, and he's like, put this inside you. And I kept thinking, I can't swallow this. Like, look how big this is. And they were like, nope put it inside you and I just was like wait what like I mean everything I was just like it's not grooming it's like training oh yeah I was like this is a nightmare I, that you can't get out of oh I like and when the things were happening like I just that was the one time in my life where I was just like this is unbelievable like this is not happening like yeah by that point I was just like I'm in too deep mm. I'm in way too deep. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get out of this. And when you arrived to Vegas, what, what does that look like? Right when we landed, um, uh, my pimp had another guy pick us up who was also a pimp and um, went straight out to their house. And he had three girls that lived in the house with them. And um, they told me to go downstairs and get ready. And I'm downstairs like, get ready. Like, I'm crying, I'm shaking, I don't have a phone. And you're not raising your hand saying, hey, everyone stop, I'm being trafficked. That well, doesn't, he was like, that get doesn't ready. cross your mind. Right. And I'm like, get ready for what? Like, what poss- Like, am right. I getting ready for a gang rape? Am I getting ready for, like, what I'm, I just didn't know. Yeah. All I had to go off of what has happened already the previous week. You know, like, am I getting ready for, like, a drug deal? Like, you had me bring drugs? Like, what am I getting ready for? Um, and then they had one of the girls come in and two of them were like doing my makeup and one of them was, you know, trying to calm me down. Like, I don't know why you're crying. Like, it's going to be fine. You're going to make so much money. And the other one wasn't saying anything. And another one came in talking about we're leaving in 10 and I'm just, you know, like so much is going on. Um, and I remember the first place we went was Red Rock Casino in Las Vegas and I'm barely 18 and she went up to the bar, ordered two drinks, put one in my hand 
We don't drink this drink to get drunk. You're going to sip it. Like, this should be watered down. I'm going to show you. Take note. Don't ask questions. Don't get involved. It was just boom, 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 boom. I mean, within 20 minutes, met a guy, wanted to take her up. She talked him into taking two girls up, you know, so I could go and see. And I remember walking up to the room like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what is going on? Still, and, yeah. and it's so meticulously planned, oh. just like how we met you. You know, there's so much yeah. thought into the process. But it was flawlessly done. Mm-hmm. Like, she made it look so easy. You know, she was like, um, just the way she was able to socialize. And, and the guy, too, I remember looking at him like, ooh. You know, and she was like, oh, handsome. You know, just filling the dude up. And you could just see him just, yeah, yeah. You know, let's go up to your, yeah. You know, it's just, and even going up there and watching it, um, I realized then what was going on, but I didn't know what it was called. So, right. like, I didn't yes. know that this was prostitution. I honestly thought this was, like, a form of, like, stripping maybe. Like, maybe there was forums. You know, like, I didn't know what was going on. You're young. I had no idea. Um, and then when we left, I remember asking her, like, how often do you do this? Like, is this a once-a-week thing? And she's like, once a, once a week thing. Like, you're going to be doing this all day. Like, I'm not talking to you about this. It's not my business. Like, stay in your lane. Like, she was not nice to me. It wasn't like, hey, girl, girlfriend. Like... It was stay in your lane. I'm not talking to you about that. It's not my business. You need to talk to, you know. Yeah. And so. And what um, did you think when they said, this is all day? Right. And I was learning a lot, too, in between this. Like, when we had got to the house, I remember I looked up the other guy in his face. And he was like, yo, cut. Your bitch just looked me in my eyes. And he came over and just backhanded me. And I remember thinking, like, what is going on here? Like, I looked you in your eyes and you just hit me. Like, it was just so much, you know? And I came from a family with a cop and a real estate mom and good manners, etiquette. You know, so I'm looking this person in the eyes thinking that I'm having good manners. Meanwhile, I'm learning that you don't look another pimp in the eyes ever. Um, so it was stuff like that, just constant, you know. Learning that there's no way, there's no other direction you're going. Right. You're going this direction and right. you have no choice. Right. Just sitting with you, hearing what you've endured, you're not a, to me, shy person. You're a strong female who has a voice. So it, it's just crazy to imagine that you're in this situation and I think sometimes people might assume, you know, it happens to the, the wee lambs, yeah. right? But you're full of personality. You're bubbly. Yeah. How are you like surviving? Are you quiet? Do you speak up for yourself at all? What are some situations of like what it was like for you living through that? Um, it didn't just happen. Um, I went through a lot. Um, I was helped out by a trick and just happened by chance to run into a woman who ran a human trafficking nonprofit. Um, and all up and down her car, it was like, stop child trafficking now. And um, she was excited to meet me because she kind of knew that I had a story because I had left a note on her car saying like, hey, this is really happening out here. Like, you're going to get shot at. Okay, I have to hear this story. You left a note on a yes. person's car. Because I saw her car, um, and she was like this like little white lady, you know, bumping to like, like, Christian music, right? And so I'm like, and 
Meanwhile, I had experienced all these things. Like I had been branded. I had seen hundreds of clients. I had, you know, been spit on by this guy, like abused day in and day out. Like, is it like a year? About how long from? Well, I honestly felt scared for her. Um, because I had watched like guys in the games too, like do something to people like that. They don't want you to mess with their money. And so, um, I left a note, like I have this little notebook this big and I wrote on like 10 pages, <laughs> like, Hey, this is really happening in Portland. Like there's guys out here who they see this and it's called messing with their money. Like I was trying to break it down to her because I remembered my life before all this and they would say things to me and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like they'd be like, you're going to break bread. I'm thinking like break baguette bread. Here I come from like a rich white family who eats baguette bread and wine. So I'm thinking break bread, like we're breaking bread. They're talking about money. They're talking about getting money, you know? So I'm trying to like write a note quickly to her. Like, this is really something. You're really going to get hurt out here. Like you should probably take this off your car, but great cause. So nice of you. I'm in apartment 215. So she's like right at my door. So she knows where you yeah. are. She's like, hi. Oh my gosh. Um, I'll be your friend. Um, I'll worry about the car later, but do you need anything? Like she was just so, cause it was no one knew 15 years ago how big of a booming issue this was, except for very few people who had nonprofits like her. So she knew, um, and she was excited. Like she wanted to help someone. And so um, we started meeting at the clubhouse at the apartments and I would tell her, you know, things. Like I would just tell her about, she would ask questions and I would just tell her. We both had kids that were the same age, so they would play. Finally, my son had a friend and, um, you know, my son is a product of a rape and so, when we got, he was with me the first like year of his life in the game. Um, and then after that, he knew this regular and he didn't know a regular life. You know what I'm saying? Um, so he finally had a friend and like, I, she's one of my good friends now. But at the time I was like, I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. Like, I don't know what you can do for me or how this is even going to serve a purpose for you um, or me. And she introduced me to pastors of a church. Pastors of church introduced me to these people, you know, so it was just like from there. Taking that chance, writing that note changed everything. Right. And everyone, like, they wanted to know. Like, when they would meet me, they'd be like, tell me everything I want to know, you know, and I would. I would tell them, like, everything that happened to me, you know, because it was so fresh. And, uh, like, looking back now, um, everything happened so beautifully, honestly. And I, I see how like help and resources and nonprofits have like developed laws, law enforcement, like it's just so developed now and like human trafficking is on the radar and there's all these great things happening and... Um, so you're seeing change? For sure. Resources? Tons. And you're one of them in a way, right? Absolutely. You share your story. Absolutely. And a lot of nonprofits, like I do work with them and they really are like, um, they're the ones who cultivate a lot of change for sure. I think when it, for me, like in my story, it was meeting an individual who ran a nonprofit. Um, and she didn't like give me anything. It wasn't like, Oh, here's money or let me give you resources. Like it was just being there. Mm. Um, you know, and then introducing me to people she knew, um, you know, and then it was individual people who then helped facilitate my healing and my growth. And there was a lot of times though, where like I messed it up. You know, they would put an opportunity in front of me and I just wasn't ready. You know, I didn't know. It looked scary. 
you know, that change looked scary. I didn't know if it was going to work out. I didn't want to take that chance with a kid. You know, some of the programs were like, we're taking everything. If you come into our program, you can't leave. We're taking your cell phone. We're taking your computer. And while it was there to help me, it was too triggering. I had just left a guy who took my cell phone, my computer, my ID, my you can't leave. You're going here. You're taking. So I couldn't do that. I couldn't take that step. And those people couldn't understand. So they were super disappointed. But I wasn't in a place either to communicate why. Right. That I was triggered. So like I didn't know I was being triggered. I didn't know there were triggers. I didn't know. You know, there's all these again in a situation where I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so it's just meeting so many people and being committed. You know, to better days. You're one of the most committed people <laughs> I've ever met. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. You know, you're like, well, I didn't know that. But you do things all the time, yeah. even when you don't know. Yeah. So you are an independent mm-hmm. entrepreneur with a business. I mean, to think about who you were as a teenager yeah. to where you are now. For sure. How does that happen? So like the last couple of years, um, I kind of stepped back from a lot of things like speaking and like human trafficking stuff and just really tried to focus on my business. And I felt bad because my heart is always to like make an impact. Um, and I decided that I was just going to be super intentional. I'm going to get up every morning and spend a couple minutes just sitting with myself no matter where I'm at, no matter how uncomfortable and just putting it out to the universe, like whatever's supposed to happen today, I hope it's for good. I hope it levels me up. I hope I learn something, put me in front of the right people, right places, make it happen. And in the last two years, like I've been able to visit places that I never even knew existed and meet people I never knew before. And um, what I'm realizing is that I am where I am and I'm able to accomplish the things I can and have the success that I do a lot because of the things I learned in the game. And I know it sounds terrible, but let me explain. Um, You learn a hustle in the game that you can't learn anywhere else. And you can use it for good, or you can use it for really bad. Um, And so it really taught me a lot of things, just there's times where um, a client might say something to me and I could see it just destroying me. But like in business, you keep going. Like you just, you got to keep going. You don't let that stuff, if it's not making you better or building you up, keep going. Um, And I'm seeing now too, what I hope to do eventually is, I even want like pimps to see that you can create a business. They make a lot of money um, that doesn't involve women. Like you can create your own thing and you can use that hustle and you can use that to really do something great because pimps really do know how to talk to people. Like I would watch them talk their way out of something with a cop, you know, and I'm just like, dang, like, you're good, you know, if they just use that for something better, they could do something great, and so I could have chose to do a lot of terrible things in my life, and I could choose to still be making terrible decisions, but uh, I just made a choice that I was going to use my skills that I learned in a very dark time, and I'm going to use it for greatness. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So I heard how you you know, you met the nonprofit gal. Was there any justice in your story that was served after what happened to you? No. 
So I ended up going forward two years later. There was only one detective on the force for human trafficking. He knew exactly who my pimp was. Um, he took all the information. They got all the evidence, all the houses I had been to, all the everything. And I had during the two years, anytime I went somewhere, if I saw a piece of mail somewhere, I would take it and I would hide it. Like I would lift the heel of my shoe. So I had some things. Like I had a picture of Larry that I had hit. I had two pieces of mail from two different houses in Arizona and California, but I didn't know, like, I don't know who these people are, but every time we went to these places, I would take something, this is what I have. They got everything together and they came to me and they said, man, we have a really good case. However, we have to go find them, bring them in here. And we have to say, so Sarah came forward and gave us all this information. And I had given them addresses to two other major pimps within a network, you know, so I mean, I wasn't dealing with one pimp now. I'm dealing with several. Um, and the risk and the danger factor was just like... You're a target. Huge. Um, and they were like, we could move forward, we'd have a case. But he would look at us and say, she's lying. And when he says that, we have to let him walk. So your safety after that the state doesn't have protective custody. We don't have any way of protecting you. Um, so it's your choice. Um, and I was like, well, what if we don't go for it? They said it gets shelved. If another girl comes forward, then they'll have, they'll pull them in and I would have an opportunity to testify on a victim's behalf. Um, it's never happened that way. He's still out pimping to this day. Um, I will testify if it ever comes up, but you know, he's still out. And I struggled at first with that. I remember, um, super actually suicidal. I went through like six months of uh, struggling really hard with that. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Real. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm with you. But I remember um, sometimes the fight feels too big. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. You know, because you don't know like who wants to be there. Right. And I think that's why I'm a voice, too, because people need to know who's who. Like, we need to know, like, who um, will fight on our behalf. And um, I think the turning point for me was I did try and take my life and my son's. And uh, the woman from the nonprofit, it was so interesting because I was sitting there at three in the morning and I'm at this regular's house and I had crushed up like a ton of these pain pills that I had and put them in a sippy cup and I was ready to take my, you know, I'd made this whole like cocktail. And um, I remember watching my son sleep and thinking this was the answer. Mm. Um, and she called right at three in the morning and she was like, man, the Lord <laughs> woke me up. <laughs> I was like, whew. Um, she's like, I just felt like I needed to call you. And that whole night for three hours, she sat on the phone with me and I would just sit there like, man, my life is over. And she would just renounce it. It's not over, it's just beginning. Um, I don't know, you know, what opportunities I can give my son. You can give him every opportunity. Like, mm. I'm broken, no one will want me the pieces will come back together. I mean, for three hours, she just sat there. Yeah, like, we're gonna make it work. You are worthy. You are, yeah. like, everything I said, she just came right back at me with, that's a lie. You you are beautiful. You know, no, life is not over. And, um, you know, I needed that. And so I think 
uh, that was the changing moment where I was like, man, I'm never going down that road again. You know, like I deserve a life. My son deserves a life. Um, and I knew that the road ahead was going to suck and I knew it was going to be hard, but I was committed. That's crazy. I'm glad you didn't commit. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. committed yeah. <laughs> to your life <laughs> instead. Yeah. I think, for real. It, I mean, it touches me, it touches everyone to hear you speak that deeply. So thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, as a survivor, I think people can really get on edge if you hear the word, I was suicidal. But oh, for sure. I feel like I'm always explaining, like, there's a bigger fight that feels like we can't win sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah. And we feel that even after getting out, uh, the, mm -hmm. that healing process continues. I have to do my own self-talk yeah. often. Yeah. Um, because it, you know, sometimes I'm like, why, why am I still here? Because yeah. sometimes I feel like a dead person walking. For sure. Um, and it's, you really have to like jumpstart your own heart. And it's really difficult to make a decision every day to see a different future, oh, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, you're a walking testament of, you know, really defined destiny. Mm. So we just really thank you for sharing. Is there anything that you're like, I can't leave this chair, Cheryl, <laughs> without sharing this one more piece with you? Damn. I think you laid it all out on the table today. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. We're always glad to talk to you. You inspire us. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate that.